After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when you hear that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, you're probably thinking, yeah, sure, what's the catch? Well, uh, there isn't one. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans for just 15 bucks a month. Say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. All plans come with unlimited talk and text and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. The team here at Literally has tried Mint Mobile out, and this is the review. For a fraction of the cost, Mint Mobile proved to have excellent coverage with no drop calls or unsent texts. Plus, they make it super easy for me to activate my device just by following a few simple steps online. And bam, done. It was great. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan, for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash literally. That's mintmobile.com slash literally. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash literally. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, Peter. How are you? I'm good. I'm sporting the one of your many team colors, I love uniforms. It. I, I love it. I love it. I usually record my introductions to my guests after they leave. Great. But you, I want I want you to sit I want you to sit here and take it. No, no, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> hey everybody. You have found it. This is the podcast. This is what you were looking for, literally with Rob Lowe. And my guest today is the legendary Hollywood figure, sports figure, businessman, producer, author, Peter Goober. I I mean, I know I've known you for how many years now? For for since 1983. Yeah. And I know, you know. I, I've always wanted to have you on the show. I love you as a just as a man and a person and all those things. But last night. I, I figured it's time to be professional, really, is what it was about. I figured, like, you know, you know professional people. So, so I, I know some people sh- that, that are masquerading as professional people, but they're not well, that, professional. Well, that that's true. You've seen all shapes and sizes. <laughs> so here, okay, you own, you're the co-owner of four pro teams, including the Dodgers and the Golden State Warriors. You are a number one Number one, New York Times bestseller. I, sir, cannot claim that. I'm a New York Times bestseller, but never went to number one like you have. 
I read last night, which I recommend to anybody out there listening to go and read your um, what you wrote for the Harvard Business Review, which is the four truths of of the storyteller. Um, see, I write for stupid things like Vanity Fair. You write for the <laughs> Harvard Business Review. That's the, one of the many differences in the size of our brains. Um, this is my favorite, though. The movies you have produced have earned three billion dollars at the box office and have 50 5-0 Academy Award nominations. I'm just going to give you a little bit of a list. This is I'm sorry of turning this into this is your life, but fuck it. I don't care. It's too good. All right. So you have been in and listen, you've been a studio head. You've run, so that means you literally have said, make this movie, don't make that movie. You produced movies, which, as you know, means from the ground up working on them. But however you've been involved in them, the movie list is Shampoo, Taxi Driver, The Way We Were, A Few Good Men, Philadelphia, Sleepless in Seattle, A River Runs Through It, City Slickers, Basic Instinct. You produced Rain Man, Batman. Color Purple, Midnight Express, Missing, Flashdance. And then when you decided to dabble in television, there was that show Seinfeld. But more importantly than all of that, you produced Young Blood with me. How do you like that? I do. You know what? It's like it, Ty Cobb said, it ain't bragging if you've done it, dude. And you have you have done it. So I'm I'm really, really thrilled to have you on on the show. But because, I gotta put a big uh, asterisk next to that. Because you know all right. this because you're You've been in show business your whole life, all right? Big asterisk. I, the letter I, did not do it. I participated in it. I helped it. I coerced it. I coached it. I ran the company or I put the thing together or I helped. In other words, these are all collaborative enterprises to say that the word I did it. No, I was there. I helped it. I I, I nurtured it and and and. Being responsible as one of the people that were deeply involved in it, yes, but you cannot take singular credit for anything in showbiz. Well, and that's the other thing that's great about you is you're, you're so humble and so willing to, to spread the, the, the glory and the praise to others. And as you know, there, there are, you know, we got one in the White House. We get a, it's like me, 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 I, 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 me, 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 I, 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 I. Um, and, and but it's true. What we do is a collaborative art for sure. I mean, and, and I think people who aren't who aren't filmmakers or TV makers will be shocked to know that anywhere along the production line, someone can elevate it beyond measure or fuck it up immediately. True. Which was which do you think is is harder for you? I'll ask you which is more interesting later. But what what did you which was harder running having to look at a script? And going, yeah, I think this story about two estranged brothers, one of whom with severe mental disabilities, is a massive hit. By the way, it doesn't sound like it when you when you pitch Rain Man, but you you greenlit it. It was it hard was it harder to to greenlight movies and pick and choose what to make with with your investors' money, or was it, is it easier just to produce movies and climb put them on your back and try to sell them? Well, the last one. Uh- put him on my back and tried to sell him. That was Rain Man. It was started out as a television script, a rough television script that Barry Morrow wrote. And we labored with it for nearly five years before we got to the Academy Awards. So 
The journey was long, arduous, and at all times uncertain, with many directors doing it, developing it, and then dropping out of it. Sidney Pollack did it for a while and dropped out of it. You know, uh, Spielberg did it for a while and dropped out of it. And, you know, a lot of directors dropped in and out of it. Uh, so it, these these projects are generally marathons as opposed to sprints. And so what you really say is what's really harder, uh, what takes mo- more tenacity or skill or endurance? They all do in different times in different ways. And, you know, if I used to say this to to people, because I don't remember, and I, I'm not attributing it to me. I heard it from somewhere, but I, I own this statement because it, it relates to what I do. If I made all the pictures I passed on and passed on all the pictures I made, I'd probably be still sitting here talking to you. <laughs> so I'm not sure I could take any credit for anything. That You think that's the batting average? Yeah, well, you know, it's a funny thing. If you're, if you're in the game, a lot of stuff comes across your screen and you're picking and choosing and you're developing things and some things work, some things don't work, and fate and circumstance shines on you. The movie God is very perverse, you know? Um, just when you think your life's over, they give you, you know, some film or some, the last dance, they give you your last act, and they give you yep. young blood in your first act, you know what I mean? So yes. you, you, you're just, you, 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 you're you not in charge, but you're in charge of how you react to it. So, you know, to, to, you, you have to have too much hubris to believe that, you know, Thank you, thank you, thank you. I did this. I worked 10 years. I look at what I did. Look what I did. Thank you. And sit down. Those 15 seconds of the award, whether it's the Golden Globe, whether it's the Grammy, whether it's the, uh, the Bear in, in Germany, whether it's the Donatello. The Cesar. I was, t- I was talking about the Cesar with the Alec Cesar, Baldwin. Right. You know, that 15 seconds for that piece of plastic or metal isn't what it's about. It's the journey. It really is the journey. It's what makes up you. you what, it's what holds you together. It's the stuff that... You look at and say, yep, I, I, I know what I went through to help get that produced, made, developed, the changes you do. And you have to take that has to nurture you. It can't be the, the credit or the box office or uh, reviews. It has to be your own internal engine that you march to that you feel is fulfilled by the process. And I think, you know, that's what you do. Do you feel like it, it's harder to make? Look, I'm just looking at some of the credits again. I mean, a River Runs Through It is not made as a movie today. No fucking way. But that's it's a good story. Part- that's a really good story. So I'm... I'm All right. I'm, I'm running... It's a some- story about fishing. No, no. But listen, that's what I'm going to tell you. So I'm running, right. so- I'm running Sony. Too much fishing in it. No, but listen, it's a great story. I'm All running right. Sony, right. the whole company, right. old big gigantic company. And I wasn't running the m- movie companies. That was John Dolge. And I wasn't running the studios at that that time, there were two different studios of men running it and women running it. And I wasn't the head of production. There were people there. And I, we used to give the budgets out to each company and what they would do. And uh, one day, uh, this, uh, this rascal comes running into my office and saying, uh, Mark Canton says, we have to make this movie. We have no money in the budget. It's River Runs Through It. I said, River Runs Through What? And he says, this is the river. I said, but I don't make that decision. Go see them. He said, no, they don't want to make it. They won't make it. You're the boy. I'm saying, I don't do that anymore. He said, yes, you got to look at it. I said, what's it about? He says, fly fishing. I said, I'm going to choke you to death right now. I'm going to reach across this table and make sure you never can speak again to anybody. Do you want us to make a picture about fly fishing? Fly fishing? Are you crazy? Fly fishing? And he came back time and time again. Then he brought Bob Redford back. Bob Redford was the director at that time. Uh, doing it, he said, oh, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it. Now, when he brought Bob Redford back, he had me at hello. 
That was one of the problems, you know. That was like one of the even, problems. even, even with fly fishing. Even, even with fly yeah, fishing. Well, here was the problem. He said, "I said we, you don't have the money in the budget." I said, "I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll take five million. You need five million more out of the next year and give it to you this year. But you're going to pay for it next year. You're going to have less currency in your company. I'm going to tell the head of the studio, head of, head of your studio, and the head of production that. But man." You better catch a fish, man. <laughs> and, he, and he did, you know. So, you know, so everybody makes decisions along in the process. That happened to be one of the seminal decisions that got that picture made with Sony. It might have been made with somebody else. Somebody else could be sitting here talking to you about that movie. You know, fate and circumstance play such a part in success and failure. But and but by the way, but I don't believe today, whoever's in your position at that company now. And and that exact same thing happens. And somebody comes in with who would it be? It was Redford then. Who would who who? First of all, here's half the problem. Who would it be today? Well, it might be Leonardo DiCaprio. Could be yeah, Matt, Leo. Could, could be Matt Damon. Could be Christian Bale. There are some really fine superstar actors that, that still move the meter. I mean, nobody guarantees it like it was back then. More guarantee. But you know, you're making the. You, you have to make. If you're in the movie business, you have to make movies. You have to greenlight them. You, you you can't wait. You know, for what you think the perfect script is. I waited once for the perfect script. It was with Mike Nichols and Warren Beatty and Jack Nicholson and a whole thing. And, and uh, oh, those hacks! Forget those guys. And those it was hacks, called, it was called. I can't remember what it was called, but it was a flop. I, it, I know what it was called. It was was it the Elaine May? Was it did Elaine May write it? Who wrote yeah, it? Yeah, Elaine May. I think wrote it. It was it was what they. Aha. It was two films, Shampoo and that film. Both were being greenlit at the same at the same time for Warren Beatty. And uh, I mean, so we pick, so we picked the two. We said we don't want to make the one about the hairdresser. We don't want to make that ridiculous film, the ha- hairdresser. We want to make the other one with Mike Nichols. Well, we made them both, and Mike Nichols was the flop, and the hairdresser was Shampoo was the hit. Go figure. If you'd have sat in a screening room, though, and seen both as a double feature before you released them, could would you have known the difference? Well, uh, let me say, I would have probably uh, been insecure as I was when I made the decision. <laughs> I'm not sure. I would, you know, it's the old story. When can you tell us a hit? You can tell us a hit when the box office fills up. You know, just nobody really, really knows till that till, till the audience turns up. Because you wouldn't have. I think Shampoo was a unique picture with Hal Ashby directing and really, you know, well done. And uh, Julie Christie and Warren Beatty, and but Mike Nichols' picture with that cast and 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 that director, uh, you know, holy moly, he, that was the gold standard. But you know, it's a, it's, there are no sure things in in baseball or in movies. Now, and, and and I look, I look at movies like I look at things like, you know, by the way, Midnight Express, one of my favorite movies, doesn't get enough credit today. I mean, my memory of Midnight Express was it blew it not it blew my mind. It blew my it just it it it's like cuckoo's nest. Like it's like one flew over the cuckoo's nest for me. Where a movie that that is seminal formed like what it means to be an actor. What I remember being in the movie theater and it was so intense and and, and all of those things. Am I, I that? I'm not wrong in that, right? That my recollection of experiencing it as a 15 year old boy is exactly as it, as it was, correct? A giant mother of a hit that nobody even suspected that the that I was a produ- producer then, and Columbia didn't even want to, after they made the picture, didn't want to release it. Didn't even want to release it, so they decided they take it to France, to Cannes, 
where we could get buried, you know, in, in, in the in the mm-hmm. director's section. And uh, it, it it's like anything, it took off around them and, and it made a big change. I I remember when the government, they said the government is going to prevent this film from coming out because it's pro-drug and this and they're going, it's going to stop, stop, stop. I thought, okay, that's what's going to happen. Instead, the government said, this is the best anti-drug film we've ever made. We're going to play the music in all the customs halls for the next three years for everybody coming back into the country. (laughs) (laughs) Man, if I was carrying a joint and they started playing that Giorgio Moroder theme, I would lose it. Right, right. (laughs) Oh, my God. I mean, that movie made going through customs... (laughs) <laughs> more frightening than swimming in the... I was way more frightened of going through customs than people were seeing Jaws and going in the water. Right. <laughs> 100%. Right. Hold that thought. We'll be right back. Well, you know, no two travelers are exactly alike, and that means no two trips should be either. Texas, vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations and activity allow for such an infinite number of different travel experiences. I mean, I love Texas. I go like this, the people of Dallas, the culture of Austin, and I love any time I get there. If you're a beach person, well, you can go have fun in the sun with Texas 350 miles of coastline. If you're a rugged vacation type, there's campgrounds, hiking trails, state parks, golf is nuts there, foodies, You got your Texas barbecue and live music in Austin. And of course, if you're into the cowboy scene, you can certainly find it there. And now Travel Texas offers a -a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom trip matched to their own unique interests. So visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters, yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. Hey, everybody, join Macy's and Girls, Inc. to empower a new generation of leaders now during Women's History Month. Throughout March, you can help fund STEM and college and career readiness programs for girls when you donate online to Girls, Inc. or round up your purchase. Plus, shop women-owned and founded brands like Kaylee Cosmetics, New Face, and Better Not Younger. Learn more and celebrate the creative power of women now and all year round at Macy's.com slash purpose. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Elbow grease and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So it's funny that you said Rain Man was a TV series. I want to circle back to that for a minute. It was a TV series? Did I hear you right? You said TV, you just said TV that, right? movie of the week. TV movie of the week. Well, it's funny because how how the how the everything in life comes full circle. I had a meeting with a very famous producer about two years ago, who wanted to work with me and do something in television. And he owned the TV rights to Rain Man. (laughs) And and I was like, and he's like, and you'll play the Tom Cruise part and blah, 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 blah. And I started thinking about it. I said, wait a minute, let me just, let's, let's just walk this through to its logical conclusion. If it works as a, any form of a TV series, which is a big if, 
That means that whoever is playing the Dustin part is killing it. Right. Which means I will be sitting in the front row of every awards ceremony applauding him right. with a statue. Right. Am I wrong? Was that you're thinking on, exactly you're 100%, right? You're 100%, a thousand million percent right. Absolutely right. I actually thought Tom Cruise should have gotten been nominated and won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. I thought he was great in that movie. Great. He was great. He's great in it. And it's one of those parts that he, he's, the movie doesn't work without Tom. I mean, Dustin's got the showy and, and crushes as he is wont to do, but that movie doesn't work without Tom, you know, supporting it. And, and I, I just, that's what 40 years of being in show business gives you is that kind of perspective. Totally. Where I'm like, mm. Yeah. So if we Very catch smart the hail- decision. Yeah, they, they had you at what about? And you knew it didn't sound right. <laughs> <laughs> what about? Um, here's, you know what it was interesting is you also were involved with one of my favorite movies, American Werewolf in London. And I love that movie so much. And I and um, I was talking to Jason Blum, who does all of the great horror movies today. He's an amazing business. He's a really smart man. And and uh, just, I mean, he's crushed it. 100% crushed it. And I said, he, he wanted to do something. And we were trying to, I said, let's, is there a version of, of a movie like American Werewolf in London to be done? Because it's been forever. It's a, another one of those movies that, I think is underappreciated and there are generations of people. I don't think that are as familiar with it as they should be. And he was like, you can't make that movie today. So what do you mean? You just can't make it. Cannot make it because I make horror for a living. I wouldn't know how to sell it because of that tone. And I thought, what a shame. Yeah. What a shame. But he's, he's right. The scenes in American werewolf in London where Griffin Dunn is decaying in the movie theater over and over and talking to to McNaughton, it's just, it's hilarious and and frightening. And they don't think they could do it today. Films are always, most always live within the period they're made. Very few films, very, very few films, very, very few films, you know, transition uh, into another era, another period, either the filmmaking or the narrative. I mean, you take a film like Godfather, you can still watch it today, a young life, still watch it and, and, and find it you know, compelling and beautiful and interesting, but more reflective. It doesn't have the pacing or the or the or the tone of today's films. So you, you it's it's a it's a contemporary art form, and so you 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 run that risk of, of films having that that uh, short short lifespan, but powerful lifespan. Well, then how do you how do you avoid the old man yelling at the clouds uh, meme like? Then the days when we used to be able to take time to tell a story. Like, I don't find anything wrong with The Godfather's pacing. And yet, you're right. It wouldn't be made like the day. Couldn't be made like that today. And you've been through all of it. And one of the things I, uh, another one of the things I love about you is your perspective on life is that of somebody who's still in their 20s. Like, there's no notion coming from you that you, you it was better at a, at a former time. Sure. This Although is, clearly, clearly some things had to have been better. I'm not saying all of it, but it's so easy, even at my age, I, uh, to look back and go, man, music today sucks. You want great music? I will, I will pitch you 1979 to 1985. And go ahead, try and beat it. Go for it. 
And and I never get that off you ever. You're like today is the best day that ever was. How do you do that? Well, you 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 know, I I, I have a motto: the past is history, the future is a mystery, the present's a gift. That's why they call it the present. So I try to live and do what I need to do today to feel fulfilled and positive and constructive in my life and and participating with the tools and resources that the marketplace gives me. That's my dog that, barking. I got to tell him to shut up. Shut up! Okay, he got quiet. That's that's direction. That's the good director. That's real power. <laughs> right. um, another thing I, I that I didn't know this about you. Were you really a juror in the Winona Ryder shoplifting trial? Yeah, that was an out of body experience, you know, and, and uh, that was truly. I I retreated to a to another place, you know. I, I retreated into a place where I, I couldn't believe it. But you know, when you're asked the question by the, the, the main judge with the DA sitting there and just asked you one question when you were being reviewed of whether or not they got being on the trial, and I wanted to be off it no matter what, I didn't want to be in the jury, in any jury. He said, uh, let me ask you something, Mr. Goober. I want to know this, answer yes or no. Um, will you tell the truth? Will you give the truthful answer to your view? Now, I thought, I say, no, I won't. I look like the biggest dope <laughs> on the planet. Yes, I will. That's going to mean my fate is sealed. I, I'm, I'm all right. I said, yes, I will. Of course. I'll always tell the truth. But she says, is there any reason that you shouldn't be on this jury? I said, I could list 35 of them. Will any of them change your mind? He said, no. I was cooked. So I, that was it. Two weeks. They did. Two weeks of listening to people. And really getting a sense of what a jury's about, which said, I said, I'm never going to break the law to be in front of these 12 people. <laughs> never, 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 never. Because they, you know, they had all predispositions of what the person did and how he did it or she did it or what it was. And it wasn't no, it wasn't no pretty television show. That's for sure. Really? So yeah. behind the scenes of a, of a, of a, of a jury, it wasn't like 12 angry men. It was like 12 angry people because they, they, when, when the, when the, uh, one of the jurors, um, Male juror said, well, you know, she has to be guilty. She went in and bought two barrettes just before she took the stuff, supposedly, two barrettes for $25 a piece. So I said, uh, sir, my daughter's also bought barrettes for $25 a piece at stores. So that, would that make them guilty, too? I mean, the whole idea that, of, of the way people see and focus in these things is scary with a jury. You know, they, you know, it's. They bring their own predisposition, their anger, their drama to it. It, it was uh, it was both boring and interesting at the same time. Two weeks of it was too much. It should have been sh- should have been all done in in an hour. You know what I mean? But it's what it well, is. My, my- my my dad is a, a lawyer in Ohio, trial lawyer, has been for over 55 years, and he just marvels at, in California. He said the average case in California would be one day. Yeah. In Ohio. It's crazy. It's crazy. That's it's crazy. Um, I'm, I also love the, your, your um, and then we got to get into sports at some point, but I love that you're so um, articulate and, and specific about the power of storytelling and um, and its power beyond show business. I mean, obviously in show business, we have got nothing if we don't have stories, but you you have a, you have a very um, fine way of, of talking about its power 
in, in the larger scope. And and I agree with you. I would argue that storytelling might be the most powerful tool that man has. Don't you think? Absolutely. If you really realize that um, uh, at the end of the day, uh, people couldn't transmit or transform or move anything, uh, any information across the population without narrative. You couldn't hold the information unless you had the context of narrative. You couldn't hold it. You couldn't remember. Remember it. The idea is narrative gives the emotional base, the contextual base to information, which, which propels people to action. So the idea that you can have the skill, whether it's through voice or writing or tele, just plain visual skill of telling your narrative, telling your story is an, a totally empowering tool. And despots used it to great extent and have made made careers and turned worlds around. And, you know, poets have done it and and magicians have done it with words and dialogue and gestures, all part of storytelling, because you want to move people to action. I use a word that I use for it that I think is that I, I it's emotional transportation. It moves people emotionally. And when you move people emotionally, you, you capture them. You can't just give them information. It's resonant, memorable and actionable when it is in a narrative form. And so teaching young people how to understand and decode information, decode story and how to recode it. So they can get people to collaborate and conform to laws and rules or work together in industries or businesses is a crucial, a crucial, crucial humanistic tool. And without it, you're in deep trouble. Do you think um, that storytelling is it has the same kind of people practicing it that it had in the past? I guess what I'm really asking is. Um, do you think, is there any notion that storytelling is slightly a lost art or no? No, I think that whether it's uh, three lines on a, a television commercial or whether it's a speech by a uh, political foe or uh, somebody that you're in favor of or whether it's uh, editorial, I don't think anything could be lost from that importance of narrative. The idea that The idea that you can shape how you see something, you shape it with narrative. You shape it with what it means to you. How do you feel about it? That contextual reality is why we're alive. It is the sine qua non of our humanness. We do it in our religions. We do it in our faith bases. We do it in our social area. We do it in our political area. We do it in our sports area. You know, they won four to two. That's a piece of information. You don't remember. Ah, they won four to two with two outs and two strikes and no balls in the ninth inning, and they won four to two. How'd they do that? You know, so it, it has the ability to create curiosity in people. It has the ability to be able to transform people's actions, to move them to action. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an art form that's not really taught really well uh, because we learn it ad hoc from our parents when we're young, either to shut up and don't say anything or, or just give me the information. Uh, we learn it, you know, with all kinds of repercussions if we don't learn it well. But the real masters of it, whether they're despots or whether they're our heroes, have really been uh, the archetypal people who have delivered narrative in success. And you'll see it in sports people and you see it in, in movie people. You see it in television people. You see it in pol politicians. You see it in everybody. You see it in mothers and fathers. If a mother or father can narrate to their children with 
their stories, they can give them tools and resources and resourcefulness they can use all their life. Information is a cold comfort. It doesn't do much. It's only when it's wedded into a contextual reality of narrative that it provides propulsion, what I call emotional transportation, and moves people to action, to believe in something, to do something, to take action, to reconsider something. And without that, you don't got it. Well, you know, it's, that's what I believe. I, I teach that. I think that's the most important thing. You know? I'm so... Dude, that, I want to run through a motherfucking wall right now. I, it's got me so pumped. I that mean, is... Let me give you the sine qua non since you're a great actor. I want to tell you something. You right. hate me. You just, let's say you hate me. You just loathe and detest me. It's disgusting. You don't like what I life's about. You don't anything <laughs> like that. Okay? Now, there's another me. You love me more than anything in the world. You're the greatest thing. You had great success with me and all terrific. The hate me guy that you hate, the other guy, this other person, gives you a script, and the love you guy gives you a script. The hate guy gives you a guy, the guy you love gives you a script, and it's shit. I mean, from the first three sentences of the script, you go, oh, well, how could you even get it? It's just absolute shit. I love this guy. I love him, but it's crap. The guy you hate has just given you Lawrence of Arabia or The Godfather, and you hate the fucker. You know, just hate him, all right? You're going to find a way to do that script. Because you know what's on the page is the goal. And the other guy, you love a lot, but you're going to have dinner with him, but you ain't going to do that movie. So that's the power of narrative. It speaks itself. There's a very important truth. Now, actors bring great value and performance and nuance and quality, but you can't put in what God left out. If you have a crappy script and you're in a play and you're the actor, you make it a little better, but crap is still crap. And great, if it's great, you can make it even greater and better and give it nuance. So... You know, those stories are, 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 an, are an emotional currency that we all look for in our lives and in the writings that we, we choose to do in movies and television or in political framework. Look at the politicians that raise people to fewer action, just crazy action with their stories and speeches. And look at the people that brought us great faith and hope and expectation with their political speeches. It's, you know, it's story. Here's what I used to say. If it ain't on the page, it ain't on the stage. And so, so show me the script and I'll show you the money. And we'll be right back after this. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Elbow grease and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's time to stop making excuses. The peace of mind you get after a colonoscopy is worth it. It's the best way to prevent and detect one of the deadliest cancers. In fact, your doctor can remove precancerous polyps during the procedure if necessary. That's right, before it even turns to cancer. No buts about it. Get a colonoscopy at 45 and follow up every 10 years or as recommended by your doctor. Find a location or schedule now at avera.org colon. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. 
Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Do you have any recollection of where you were when you read a certain thing? You've you've seen so many great scripts. Like I remember where I was when I read The West Wing for the first time. Does anything pop out? To you, where you go, holy shit. I remember turning the page and it was whatever. What what project was that? I was a producer before I ran Sony. And after I had run Columbia and after I run the other company, I was a producer for a number of years. And I, I was friendly with Marvin Hamlish mm-hmm. and, and uh, different Broadway people, David Merrick and stuff. So I'd always go off Broadway to pap theaters and such and I wanted to see the show that, that just was opening. Then no reviews. It was in workshop. And I asked, I had some clout by being in the business. I asked this, this, this uh, producer, I said, can, can I get this show was sold out? It was like a 99th seat theater. or I don't remember what it was. 200 seat. It was a small theater in New York. I wanted to see it. And they set up a chair for me in the aisle. And I, I went and I saw it. And I was... 10 minutes into it, and I couldn't sit still. I, I wanted to get over so I could try to buy the show. 10 minutes into it, I had seen something that was like, oh, my God. By the time to the end, I, was, I, had, I had herpes on my head because I was sticking my <laughs> arms around myself. I couldn't move. It was called A Few Good Men. And I looked at it. I said, we got to buy this. I went back to the studio. I said, you got to buy it. we got to buy it. we got to buy it. we got to buy this. we got to buy this. We bought the, the play. And later, when I became the head of the studio, Rob Reiner found it made it into a movie. But when you read Aaron Sorkin, when you see somebody who can really put the magic of words and story and narrative together in such a way that you'd watch about some a story about two guys in Guantanamo Bay and think you'd be compelled to it because it was really about something more than Guantanamo Bay. It's about something that was inherent in your life. You see that power of that narrative. It's so powerful. I, I couldn't sleep at night. I just had to figure out a way to get that show. Guys, it's so funny because I, when when we were doing West Wing, that that show made Aaron. Aaron wrote it when he was twenty four years old. Right, wrote it on the wrote it on the back of napkins, as he was a bartender, and um, I can I never saw the play. It was famous. I remember hearing about it, and then the movie came out, and obviously the movie was huge. But we, when we were on West Wing, we would talk about the play, A Few Good Men, not the movie, the play, and. There'd only been a few people who'd ever played Kathy, Tom Cruise part. I think Tom Hulse, of all people, uh, created it. I think Bradley Whitford did it for a while. And then Timothy Busfield. That's it. And um, every one of those guys was would talk about how funny the play was and how many laughs there were in it. And I was like, I saw the movie. There weren't that many laughs in the movie, as, much, as good as it was. And then I got to do the play with Aaron. We went to London and we did it at the, the Haymarket. And that, and you're right, that play is, is so spectacular. Right. It is like a, a Swiss watch for, it, for the audience to, to, it just works. It works like a, like a finely calibrated watch. And you got to see the original. That's so cool. Yeah, it's cool. And there's all stories all the way through. When the film came up, when, when I was running the studio with Rob Reiner, Every piece of story there is, a, is a, there's another unique piece of filmmaking lore and story, you know, uh, a quick one, all right? Just a quick one. Yeah, yeah, please. So, so, yeah. So that movie was being made, and Rob Ryan, we, we were the owners of the of Castle Rock. Uh, Sony owned Castle Rock, 55% of Castle Rock, with Alan Horn and Rob Reiner and those guys. Yep. And Rob 
uh, got a hold of the material out of Columbia's, because Columbia was the company we working with, out of Columbia's library, got a hold of the, the play material, said, I'm going to make this movie. Puts the whole movie together. It's inside the budget of the movie. Gets it all together. I don't even know about it. I'm, I'm, I'm not running the movie company. I'm running the corporation. And all of a sudden, I get a call. Rob Reiner won't see. I said, you don't see me. You see, you got to go see John Dolge. You know, you got to go see the head of the studio or Mike Metaboy. Don't see me. I'm not, I'm not making the movie decisions. So no, I got to see, I got to see, I got to see. And I was his friend and everything. So I see him. He says, listen, we don't have the money to get the active Fushuga men. I know you're familiar with the material. I hear the back. I remember I heard the story about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, I'm, I'm bored. I want to throw them out of the office. because oh, Anybody comes in, they're only asking. You can hear the rattle of their begging cup when you come to my office. They're rattling <laughs> that begging cup. You can hear it all the way. I'm just waiting for them to bring it out from behind their back. So he said, I, I, I need the money. I said, I need a really great actor to, to play the, uh, the colonel role in A Few Good Men. I said, yeah. He said, he said I want to go after... I want to go after Jack Nicholson. I know you made a bunch of films with Jack Nicholson. I want to go after him. I think I have a chance of getting him. And, but it's very expensive, like $5 million for two weeks' work. And I have been saying no to everything, and I don't make any decision or anything. I, it's everybody, because otherwise I'd be in trouble. I said, do it. With just two words, do it. I said, you got the money. You know, that's good. He says, why, you just say it that way? I said, king is good. I remember Mel Brooks said that. Do it, you know. And he went and got him, and he got the money and did it. So, you know, I think Jack Nicholson in that movie, you know, you want to hear the truth? Jack Nicholson in the movie, I'll tell you the truth. Jack Nicholson yeah. was a villain and villains make movies successful. Villains are really, really important in movies. They're, they're, whether it's Anthony Hopkins or Jack Nicholson, when you're a good villain, man, that really makes the movie cook. Wow, that's such a great story. But what, what the listeners of the podcast don't really know and what you're too kind to say is no one sits in that chair today like you and says, do it. They don't. What they do is they run it through marketing. They make a poster. They call <laughs> Germany and see how much they can get from the Germans. And then they go, well, if we sell it to what, what's the Thailand would be and how would it do in China? And then they call you know, and, and they then they put their finger in the wind and maybe they say do it. Maybe then. Maybe. I'm they sure don't they say do it, do it in I, the room. I, 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 you're, you're kind, but I'm sure they do it in a different way because it's different. It's a different time. But, you know, I came to that role as being a filmmaker. I came in that role that way. I didn't come in from marketing or from finance. I came in as a person that loved the the the, the, the metier of film and, and what it meant and what what. what what, what base it was for storytelling. But, you know, Rob, one of the things that's interesting to, to look at in decision-making uh, on projects, they're made by a collection of people. It's a truly collaborative art form. I'm sure you in your life, uh, somebody says something to you, you're working hard in a project, and somebody just on the side who may be a set dresser or something will say, you know something, you know, I don't think you should wear the hat in this scene. Out of the clear blue sky. And you think, ah, oh, it's crazy. Then you think, you take off the hat and you look, you do the scene. You, wow, that was a good suggestion. You know, I mean, you, you, you have to be you have to be open to listen to it, but you must have to have a filter. You, you got both things. You can't just take everybody's suggestion, but you, you really you really have to be open to the ether to deliver things to you as an actor or a director or a storyteller that are useful. You know, it's, it's a collaborative art form at the very heart. Well, you came, you said the key thing just now is you came into it as a lover of film and someone who'd been involved in storytelling and filmmaking and the nuts and bolts of it before you got into the, 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 the big chair, as they say. Now, 
it's 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 a lot of Wall Street guys and people with who come from business and other areas, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but but it, they're not there because they love movies. That's oh, not they, how they got there. That may not be how they got there, and they may love movies and be there, and they may not love movies but love business, you know. But it is called show business. If it was just yep. called if it was just called show show, they'd be all broke. If it was just called business business, they'd be looking at budgets on the screen instead of actors mm-hmm. and and locations. So it is a blend of this. It is an, a commercial art form. And when you're spending upwards of fifty, a hundred, two hundred million dollars on a movie, on a film, you you have to you know leaven it because it can mean the demise of your entire company. So it does give you a little bit of sphincter arrest. You know what that is? It's like so you think about it, you know, you know, from a, a number of contextual realities. Will this sink the company? Will I be able to survive in it? But, you know, if you become risk averse and you're in the business of making films and making television and making stories, if you become risk averse, you know what you have? A flop. What? It's called a flop when you become risk averse. They, there is risk built into every new and good and interesting film or television show. So if you're risk averse, you're really going to be in the in the in the hallways of uh, film posters. But listen, Peter, come on. Now, you need to be honest with me right now. This is. You're in this business as much as anybody still. You can get you can win all the basketball championships you want. There's you're still in the thick of it. You you don't think that everybody today isn't risk averse? I think every decision I, I, I don't mean to sound like I'm I'm I have any bitterness. I don't. I it's all I mean, I'm I'm having a wonderful career and I love it. But dude, I gotta feel like everywhere you go, the to sell, you have to overcome the risk averse nature that permeates the buying world out there. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a true statement. I see it. You know, and no is a two letter word. N O. You know, and you hear that all the time. But I look at it, people like you and I, that we have to be dyslexic. We got to think no means on, and we just got to keep going. We just got to keep rolling, man. If you have the belief and conviction, and have some tools and resources and resourcefulness, that you'll overcome that. So maybe those hurdles are there because the business is so much riskier now, and everything is so much uncertain now that those things are there. But you know, uh, a, a really good script, a really good actor, a really good director, a really good uh, entrepreneur uh, has to uh, has to paddle in those waters. I mean, you just you, have, you buy into that. I think the real element is today is, you know, today is that films have taken a very dramatic turn. It's very, very difficult in the theatrical business, let alone all the theaters being closed right now. But it's very, very difficult in the theatrical business to make the kind of stories of coming home or Deer Hunter or, uh, you know, uh, being there or Forrest Gump. You can't get those films made today, really. You just really, 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 really can't. The, you know, the, the height of what you have and who the audience is that's going to theaters is very much defined by, well, let, why, by that. Okay, why? I want to just do a quick deep dive on this because you just mentioned all movies that made me want to be an actor. Yes. You mentioned the movies that on a Friday... As a kid, those were the choices. You get to go to a theater and see being there. You get to go to a theater and see, see the deer hunter coming home. Uh, that it does not happen anymore. And But why do people stop loving those movies? I can't imagine that that happened. No, but they're now nine-part nine series on television. Great writing on television. Great, great projects made all over the world. I mean, wonderful acting, fantastic 
directing. Wonderful. The, the, the format's different now. They're watching them on a, on a, a giant screen in their you know, four foot by three foot uh, OLED screen, or they're watching it on one of these little phones like this. I mean, you make a $125 million movie, and there's a kid watching it on this. I mean, you're worrying about the art, the art form, and they're watching on this, and they're listening to it live, and you worked so hard in the sound and so hard in the color and the texture, and they're looking at this while they're picking their nose, drinking a beer, patting their dog, and groping their girlfriend, all at the same time while you're competing for the movie. So the whole format has changed. The darkened theater where people have appointment, go to the, plan to go to the movie on Tuesday or Wednesday for Friday. They plan it in advance. All of that has changed. So we have to, we have to change our storytelling formats. And I think what's really happened is the power of narrative and of, of movie making has been transformed so that we have these unbelievable five, six, seven, eight hour or eight segment shows with the phenomenal writing and wonderful acting being done. I don't want to call it on television. It's on television, but it's on a screen other than a theatrical exhibition marketplace. So I'm compelled that that gives you the opportunity to reach them efficiently. And, uh, you know, you know, the idea is I don't put gas in my car anymore. I just plug it into the wall. So I, I, I drive the car. It still gets me where I want to get to. So if I want to move people emotionally, if I want to be a filmmaker, a storyteller, a narrative person, a uh, a talk show person, do a podcast. If I want to move people to listen to me and follow into me, I have to be compelling inside the format I'm choos- choosing. You know, you know, inside that format. Normally, years ago, if we were to do something, it would be like this. It would be 30 seconds at the end of the news with you asking me one question. But now, we have, so now you have this giant platform where you can talk for 45 minutes and not edit it and make it real life and have a whole different experience with it. So you have to surrender the past for what the future offers. I, I, yeah, no, you're right, and, and it's true. The the eight the birth of the eight hour uh, limited series is where all the stuff that inspired me to be an actor lives now. That's the, and you see great work being done. All that um, basic instinct. So that was like the thing that everybody talked about in that movie was was that interrogation scene where. You you look up her her skirt. Come on, as an actor, you don't know where the camera is. Come on, what say you, Peter Goober? I'd say that narrative helped make the film successful. That that yes, not the shot, the narrative, not the shot. The shot was if you really examine the shot, and we had to look at that shot five times for the MPAA and everything because you know wasn't exposed, wasn't exposed, all those issues. But the issue just as you framed it, became the dialogue that everybody talked about. That was the dialogue. Did she know? Didn't she know? What was it? What was it? Is it right? Is it wrong? That became the pinnacle of discussion around that. So everybody, in order to have a, a say in it, had to see it. See, that was, that, that was the secret sauce. Not somebody made that up. It just happened that way. You know, so the idea is sometimes... You know, the interest of the public is piqued by an experience like that. And then people who would never go see that movie. I got to go see that movie because the water cooler, that's where people used to meet around. Yep. Everyone's talking about it. I don't want to be the dunce that didn't see it. You know what I mean? So so the idea is if I knew all the time what made success, what was the equation of success? I'd make just make hits, but I make hits and flops because I don't know that. I just just hope that I catch the zeitgeist of the interest in the people and have the uniqueness that 
people want to talk about it, think about it, and communicate to others about the show or film, so they go see it. In that particular film, that was the thing. I mean, Michael Douglas did a really good performance. He was really, he was really good in it. But you know, at the end of the day, that become the that became the voice. That that's my wife yelling at me. That's my that's voice. uh, that is uh, Hillary Clinton calling yes, in. Yes, right. It's the voice of doom. So, <laughs> well, listen. Thank you for doing this. Uh, I, I adore you. I love you so much, man. And and to be able to bring some of your your wisdom and just your worldview to to people, this has been my, maybe my favorite podcast because of that. Because uh, I'm lucky. I get to know you, um, and now everybody else gets a little bit of some of that Peter Goober goodness. I only got one thing to say to you in closing. You know what it is? What? You know what that is? No. The seal in Machu Picchu and then in Galapagos. See, Peter Goober and I went to the Galapagos together and were attacked by all kinds of animals. But that is for a whole, we got to do our mutual Omaha's wild kingdom. (laughs) You can be Marlon Perkins. Right, up river, right. Yeah. All right, my brother. All right, be well. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Wow. So inspiring. It's, you know what, I think as guys, um, I, I'll speak for myself. It, it's hard to have mentors. People don't, you know, we, we, we don't sometimes as men share with each other and open up to each other and pick each other's brains. Yeah, we have our fathers and things and we have our friends, but like it's to have a, for me to have a mentor like Peter Goober is such an amazing gift. And I'm just reminded of it, um, listening to that conversation, some of which I've heard before from him, but to be able to share that with you guys um, is just makes me so happy. And, you know, I mean, he's going to be 80 years old soon and listen to him like that heart and that spirit. He's not jaded. He's not tired. He's curious doesn't claim to have all the answers. Really, really, really inspiring. And I'm glad that you joined me. And I'll see you next time. You have been listening to Literally with Rob Lowe. Produced by Devin Tory Bryant and Delina Turman. Engineered by me, Devin Tory Bryant. Executive produced by Rob Lowe for Low Profile. Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco. And Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon at Stitcher. The supervising producer is Aaron Blaird. Talent producer, Jennifer Samples. Please rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts. And remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Stitcher. This show is sponsored by Duncan Cold K Cups. Duncan Cold K Cup Pods were specially crafted for cold coffee. It's convenient and tasty. You brew over ice straight out of the Keurig coffee maker. You just brew over ice and you sip them in seconds. You're going to love these Dunkin' Cold Cake Cups. Enjoy the bold, smooth Dunkin' taste you know and love. Find Dunkin' Cold Coffee in the roasted coffee aisle.